Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Audiobooks are my kryptonite, and today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, the Rolls Royce of audiobooks. Get a free audiobook and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash why it works. Here with us today is Tiffany Ann Beverlin, entrepreneur and certified life and divorce coach. Tiffany overcame divorce and unemployment to create a premier marketplace and support community for people dealing with divorce. She brings a unique perspective based on her personal experience, as well as her professional experience helping others. We speak to Tiffany from her Florida home on a relaxing summer afternoon. Welcome, Tiffany, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Joe. I'm super excited. Great. So we first met through LinkedIn, and I really enjoyed the optimism and the humor of your posts. Tell us, how has your use of social media developed over the years? Well, I think like most people, and especially in the business world, when I first went onto LinkedIn or social media business-wise on my company, you're almost afraid to put anything out there because you're afraid of being judged or seen wrong or saying something wrong. And and so I was much more timid at the beginning. And, Mm. And I also used to be one of those bad people who used to kind of have feel the need to kind of defend myself on every post. And so I realized very quickly within the first month that, you know, the way forward on social media is you be yourself, you be authentic in yourself and let people do whatever they want to because that's their end of the equation and you can't control it. You can only control your end. So I was like, I'm just going to be the positive, optimistic me. And if other people want to write negative stuff, that's up to them. Yeah. And uh, I can't be sure, but I imagine when you kind of made that switch, the response was probably much different and better than when you were trying to say the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that if you look at any kind of social media, the people who have large number of followers, the influencers, we might not like them, we might not agree with them, but they are authentically who they are. And, and that kind of confidence in themselves is what is attractive. Absolutely. That's great advice for other people. Let's get to know you a little bit better. Tell us what you do, but please tell us as if you were talking to a five-year-old. Well, I do something that I never once as a child thought I would grow up to do. <laughs> I help people who have broken hearts feel better and heal them and put their hearts back together and fix them. So I recycle people's lives after divorce and heartbreak and loss. Wow. Well, you know, I, I think at any age, you know, you can start to understand loss and, and sadness. Yeah. So that's great. That's great. So I am so happy uh, that you're here. And let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. So your backstory, obviously, is, you know, it's not a secret. You're on social media, you have a website, you wrote the book. And when I started to get to know who you were a little bit just through that channel, I started to wonder, you seem so inspiring and had such a great attitude. And I was like, is this really who she is? Or is this just really, really good marketing, right? (laughs) And then, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to you over the phone, and we chatted. And, you know, you really were that authentically positive person who was being portrayed. And, you know, 
you've built this amazing business based on what you learned from a difficult experience. And I'm just so excited to have some time to learn a little bit from you and, you know, have the audience, you know, to learn a little bit from you and your story. Well, thank you. That was a very nice intro. So thank you. Yeah. Life is too short to be someone you're not, right? No one has time for that. Now, if you reflect back uh, on the harder times you had had, uh, what helped you move towards the positive, grateful person you are today? Well, I would say that it was my own doing. And I guess ultimately it was my own doing. But I write about this in the book. I had like this epiphany moment with a friend of mine who I was, I handled my divorce very poorly. And I mm. admit this. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have coping skills. I fortunately had to live, you know, quite an easy life by anyone's standard. I hadn't really had a lot of adversity. And so when I woke up one day and realized I was getting divorced, I just like completely fell into horrible depression. I was the horrible, you know, sad sack, feel sorry for myself self-pity and you kind of like become addicted to that almost so you're in this rut you don't know how to get out of it and um and I didn't have any like I said like real coping skills and I didn't have any role models to look up to like what do you do how do you do this like where's the book on where's the little manual for getting divorced right (laughs) and so I literally I have a really good friend actually I went to um, elementary school with them and uh, they actually live in Hong Kong and his name's Simon and I write about this in the book and after moaning to him like endlessly <laughs> eight months straight about how dismal my life was and how bad the divorce and how horrible it all was and I was like the victim and uh one day he said to me he goes for God's sake <laughs> he said like pull yourself together and go downstairs and make a list of everything right now that you can change about your life because I'm sick of hearing you. (laughs) (laughs) It was a survival (laughs) advice. (laughs) Yeah. And, and he was like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Yeah. So my friend Simon, he was like, you know, for God's sake, please, you know, stop because this isn't helpful to you or anyone. Go downstairs, make a list of everything you have the power to change instead of constantly moaning about everything that you can't change. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was the first practical thing that anyone had told me to do. Besides that, it was just constantly, you know, people like, oh, cheer up. Oh, it will get better. I mean, people think they're helping with these kind of generic things, but they're really not. People need practical advice. They need practical steps. They need actual people who've been there before to kind of, you know, um, blaze the trail for them. And so that's what I did. And in that little moment, when I went downstairs and I made that list, I realized I had a lot more power over my life and how it was going to be than I thought I did. Wow. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, today's topic is heartbreak. And let's kick off our exploration with not just any divorce, but a serious betrayal of trust. What the hell's going on? Oh, hey, Ricky, nice of you to stop by for a visit. What do you mean, a visit? This is my house. Baby, um, shoot. I'm so sorry. I really, I didn't, I didn't want it to be this way. Hey, what happened to the family portrait? Oh, you just crudely pasted your face over mine. We're getting married, (laughs) Ricky. 
<laughs> and we're getting matching leprechaun tattoos. Isn't that cute? With a little pot of gold. Is this some kind of joke? You guys put me on? I was gone three hours. Dennett just fired me from the team. Ricky, you and I, oh, we both know that this marriage has been over for a long, long time. No! I honestly did not know that! Ricky, you can't race no more. I'm not going back to being poor and dancing at the wizard's den. You know, my old boyfriend, Greg, he still works there and he was crazy. Baby, stop. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. Just a second, let me make sure I got this straight. Are you asking me for a divorce? Yay! Two Christmases! Cal, <laughs> how could you do this to me, man? Ricky, your marriage was a hollow shell. It was a cruel charade. She just gave me a 411 on the whole deal. And you know what else? You never let me win one time. I thought we had a good thing going. Shake and bake. You're doing great. You just keep it up. Keep, keep it up. Keep it up. And Mr. Dennett told me yeah. that it's my time now. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? That shake and bake is dead. And we just came up with a new nickname. Oh, that is. It's so good. <laughs> I got a new it's nickname. So the Magic Man. Now you see me. Now you don't. don't. That was the stupidest nickname I've ever heard. Is it, Rick? Because I think you wish you thought of it. All right, you got me. That's an awesome nickname. I've always had a lot of great ideas. I was thinking I might design a car that's in the shape of a rabbit. <laughs> wow. Shake and bake, shake and bake, <laughs> Tiffany. So uh, what can we learn here? I mean, I think it's I think it's a sad truth is kind of embedded in that clip that if you ever really want to get to know someone, divorce them because the way they handle it and what they do, you will see their truest colors in the worst possible form. And, and it's a shame. That's what happens. And if there's betrayal thrown in or anger mm -hmm. or any feelings that you've been kind of hard done by, you find that these are the people who can't let go. These are the people who can't move on. And it's not even necessarily that they can't move on from being in love with this person. It's because they hold on to all that anger, which they mm. have, you know, they have a reason to be angry. I'm not saying they don't. Obviously, right. if your best friend runs off with your wife, you're going to be upset. <laughs> of course. Right. But, it, but it's so unhealthy and it does more damage to the person who's holding on to the anger than it does to let it go. Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, you, you think you're hurting other people by being angry, but in a way you're kind of damaging yourself more. Well, and in most cases, those people have moved on, like uh, Talladega Nights shows. You know, they're already <laughs> on to the next thing. They're not worried about you. Why are you obsessing about them and holding on to all this negative energy? Now, I know you've coached, you know, so many uh, couples as they went through the aftermath of their divorce. Do you find uh, that there's, you know, on average, people were surprised or did people really kind of know ahead of time? You know, kind of in the clip, you know, she's like, oh, it's been a shell marriage a long time. I mean, do you find that people kind of know or people really don't know sometimes and they're just totally surprised? Well, I often, when I start talking divorcees, they'll say, I had no idea. I didn't see it coming much in the same way he did. Mm -hmm. But actually, when you start talking to them and you start unraveling the kind of dynamics and relationship they have, 
you kind of point out the obvious to them and then they're like, oh, okay. And I feel like that's more a self-preservation thing. So in their marriage, they knew that they hadn't had sex with each other for four years. Mm -hmm. In their marriage, they knew that somebody had a wandering eye. In their marriage, they knew that they weren't kind, they weren't loving, they never did anything together, they didn't spend time together. You know, to have a couple... And I've, I've talked to over 6,000 people, so it's a lot of divorcees. Mm-hmm. And I've never once heard somebody say, I had the perfect marriage, everything was great, and I had no idea, and I woke up one day and I was divorced. Interesting. Interesting. So there's a lot of sort of awareness of the people and how they deal with maybe, I don't mm. want to call them obvious difficulties, but existing difficulties that are there. Yeah, they sweep them under the carpet. They don't want to admit it's a problem. They make excuses for themselves or their spouse. Well, I didn't do that because I was tired. I didn't do that because we didn't have enough money. I didn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they're all excuses. And even the behaviors like the cheating, they're just a symptom of the disease and the crumbling of the communication of the marriage. Okay, great. Well, let's take a look at another sort of heartbreak that unfortunately too many people that I know uh, have suffered. When Chuck Detman was downsized in the last recession, he launched a support group for the jobless. Just kind of a a chew session. That was eight years ago. We got the group together to gauge their progress. Can anyone here say they have recovered yet? Absolutely not. No. New jobs were only the start of their recovery. The earning power is not there. The salaries are not there. I never had a thought that I was going to go out and do anything else. But David Himmelhaver had to, after being let go as a graphic artist making $54,000. His next job paid him half that. He now teaches both high school and college, but still makes less than he used to. In fact, one recent study found most people who lose a job are still earning less 15 or 20 years later. Every day I go to work thinking this could be my last day. It could happen all over again. Bill Sankey's anxious with good reason. Analysts say workers laid off once are more at risk to be laid off again. Sankey was let go as a computer programmer earning $55,000. He has lost his job twice since. Only now is he back earning roughly what he once did but has spent all his savings. I used to be very optimistic, but I'm no longer optimistic. After some hard times, Karen Karen is the group's success story. After losing a $69,000 job as a computer programmer, she also lost her house. Today, she's back programming computers, but earns more. And yet she's still insecure. I don't know if, it'll, if it's going to be a full-time job for me for the next 10 years. They all still rely on their support group to network and stay positive. Never give up. That's the key. Especially now. For every job opening, there are six people looking to fill it. Mark Strassman, CBS News, North Palm Beach, Florida. So, Tiffany, what do you see here? Yikes, that's depressing, right? Nobody wants to think about that because... You know, in much the same way as in our relationships, our spouse is part of our identity. Our job, especially with the men that I support and help, is part of our identity. And oddly, there's a very strong correlation between job loss and divorce. I don't wow. know if you're aware of that. But you're, you're, yeah, I think it's two, two and a half times more likely to get divorced if you lose your job. 
And I think that's part of it, that people become depressed, people become unhappy, they've already lost their job, they already feel a certain amount of rejection, of not feeling good enough, low self-esteem. And then this kind of plays out within the relationship, within the marriage, causes other issues. And now they have two things to worry about. Now they have rejection from their spouse, they have rejection from their workplace. And it really is a sad situation. And it kind of what came to my head when I was watching that is this is why entrepreneurialism is a good way to go, right? You can't fire yourself. Uh, so are there things that you've learned from people you've coached and known who've created a successful life for them, you know, after divorce that perhaps could be applied uh, in the job loss context? Absolutely. I mean, look at me. I'm one of those people. I was a stay-at-home mom. I, I found myself divorced. I didn't just have to recycle my romantic life, but I had to recycle my career, etc. I chose the path of being an entrepreneur, maybe because I don't like rejection. I don't know, because <laughs> nobody does. But I feel it's very, very um, important that people understand that they have to really work on self-love and how they feel about themselves as a human. Like that you wake up and you feel good about yourself. You feel that you're a good person, you're a productive person, you're a kind person, you're a smart person, whatever it is. Because then... External things like job loss, relationship loss, etc., actually become much easier to deal with when you have such a strong sense of yourself and self-love. Yeah, it's, uh, I really like that point you're making about self-love. I've been reading a very interesting book by uh, Dr. David Lieberman on anger and mm-hmm. why we get angry. And one of the things I learned from that is we can only give to others what we have ourselves. So Mm -hmm. like you were saying, self-love, if you don't love yourself, if you really do not have a good relationship with yourself, Mm -hmm. it's really impossible for you to have a good relationship with anyone else because you can't give them what you don't have inside on your own. No, absolutely. If you don't love yourself, how can you possibly expect anyone else to love you? It stands to reason. Yeah. And you give off like horrible negative energy. I, I, when I talk to my divorcees, I explain it to them like this. I mean, we've all been in a situation where we have a party and somebody walks into the party and they're smiling and they're happy and they're upbeat and they appear confident and 10 seconds and they have a little, you know, group around them. Everybody yeah. wants to talk to them. Yeah. You walk into a party and you're kind of depressed, you're sad. You can see by your body language, by your face, how people feel about themselves. Those people walk into a party and an hour later, they're sat on a chair in the corner. No one's spoken to them all night because we give off this kind of energy that tells the whole world around us whether we love ourselves or not. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. And, and I think what's interesting as well is we don't need to be trained to read that. Like as human beings, we, we know that like immediately within, I don't know how many seconds, you know, scientifically, but within X seconds of them, it doesn't take long. I don't even have to talk to the person. I know yeah. what you're about in a certain sense very quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things that people can work on. Everyone has the power within themselves once they're aware of that. And I tell people, you know, fake it till you make it. Even if you don't feel that good about yourself, put a smile on your face, walk into the room, people will still read it as that. And and in that way, you know, relationships, opportunity, jobs, who wants to sit in a cubicle next to someone who's sad and miserable and doesn't like themselves? Well, and I think the great thing about your advice, fake it till you make it is, 
in a sense, maybe in the beginning, you're doing something you don't feel totally, but I find within a minute or two, you actually are that person. You're feeling that way. And it's like mm-hmm. a positive reinforcement that happens. You just got to sort of light the fuse, so to speak. No, absolutely. So, you know, the feeling when you are so close to achieving your dream, you can just taste it. So yes. let, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's see what happens. Okay. Put your hockey sticks and baseball bat away Cause this is Detroit 60 mile road is that away That away Whoa, whoa, okay, okay 45 seconds, very nice and Next up is my boy Bunny Rabbit Hey, I can talk all that shit if you want to But I'm telling the genius, man DJ, kick it So what just happened there? Well, I think it's the same thing, right? It's a lack of self-confidence. It's a lack of self-love. You want it really badly and you might be talking the talk and walking the walk, but when it comes down to it, you can't deliver. And I think actually, oddly, that's a lot like marriage, right? (laughs) (laughs) How so? We promise each other, we vow to do this, that, and the other. We do it in a good way. But when it comes down to it, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later, we can't deliver on what we thought it was going to be. And, um, and that's kind of when divorce happens, when one or the other one decides that they choked and they need to leave. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting because like any performance or relationship, people don't go into it thinking, wow. I'm going to fail. I mean, people Mm. with the best intentions think I'm going to do a great job at this job or in this marriage or whatever relationship. Mm. But it, you know, it it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes the things that were needed to make it there are not, are not there. And And it can be really difficult to realize that and have to deal with that. Well, it can be. And I think one of the keys to dealing with that is, you know, if you're going down a path and you think this is the right path for you, you obviously need to put in as much effort to follow that path. You know, that's the setting a goal and going for it and all that stuff is great. But if you're going down this path and you're derailed and you're like, you know, you lose the job, you don't get the job, you don't get the girl, you don't get the boy or whatever it is, you have to really hold a strong kind of sense inside yourself that there will be something good that comes from that. It will be a new career and better job, a better fit for you as a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. And I think that that's what you have to do. You have to accept that a certain amount of life you cannot control. So you can try really hard to achieve X, Y, and Z, but you have to understand if you can't, that probably long term, there's a good reason behind that and you weren't supposed to do it. I mean, I never wanted to get divorced. Nobody wants to. No. 
but out of it has come my company and I love what I do and I love my divorcees. But I mean, this would never have happened if something bad hadn't happened, if I hadn't, you know, choked in that situation and not had that relationship work out. And I think that's what you have to focus on. So uh, I'm going to read a quote, which uh, I think sums that up. You might be familiar with this one. Dreams get broken, but this allows us to create new, even bigger ones that ultimately, like mine, will come true. Did I write that? That was from your book. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, that sounds good. (laughs) How funny. I think it's true. And and it's very interesting because when I talk to divorcees at the beginning, and like I've done this long enough now that the great thing about it is people come back to me. And mm-hmm. when I start talking to them and they're in the middle of the divorce, when they think life is never going to get better and I talk to them in the state and I say, you know, something good will come from this, I promise you. And I can tell they don't really 100% believe me. <laughs> yeah. But now they come back to me and they have, you know, new spouses or they, they, it, the divorce gave them the kind of impetus to quit their job and follow their dreams or they climbed a mountain or they traveled to Fiji or whatever it is, things that they would never have possibly done if the adversity, et cetera, had not happened. And it's so lovely. It's why I love my job. You watch Mm. these people become amazing, like better versions of themselves after adversity. Yeah. You know, there was one word you said in your previous comments that really stuck out with me, that concept of control. And acknowledging that you can't control what happens or everything that happens. And I just, I had this image of, you know, let's say whatever's not going your way is like a runaway bull or, or mm. a car or a train. If you hold on to that thing and try to stop it, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's not going to work. But if you let go of it, there could be something else coming up that's even better for you, like, you know, that trip or that new career. And I think what happens to um, a lot of people is they're so stuck on holding on to that thing, it takes them a lot longer to get or to see the next thing that's right in front of them or coming around the corner. Absolutely. I say in my book, and I use this quite a lot, you know, when you struggle, you drown, but when you relax, you float. Oh, I like that. When you struggle, you drown, but when you relax, you float. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we do. We're so, we're so kind of driven and think that we have this control over everything. But I mean, you just have to look around, you turn on the news and you see we have, you know, not a whole lot of control over adversity or what will happen. And we all will have to deal with it. I mean, that sounds so depressing, but it doesn't have to be because it's all about how you deal with it. Yes, yes. Great. So uh, for this next clip, I want to give an audience warning. Please get out your box of tissues. You know, not not me, of course, because, you know, I don't cry when I see these sorts of things. But for everyone else, you you might want to prepare some Kleenex here. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to go. No, I don't want you to go. I'm going to think about some stuff. What do you got to think about, huh? Come here. Talk to me. Talk to me. About what? You want to... You're going away. You're leaving. And I'm staying here. And I'm so happy that you're doing that. But you're going to have a million things to do. You've got so much ahead of you. Don't talk like that. It's true. I'm not going to have nice things. 
fancy things. It doesn't... It's never going to happen for me. It's not in the cards for me. I don't have to go to school, okay? Yes, you I do. I can stay here. No. Do you see? That's exactly what I'm talking about. And you can come with me. To New York? Yes. What am I going to do in New York? Be with me? We don't gotta figure all this out tonight, you know? We'll finish out the summer and we'll see what happens. You say you wanna break it off? I'm saying we'll see how it goes later on. <gasps> Are you breaking up with me? I don't see how it's gonna work. <gasps> I see. Please don't do this. You don't mean it. Oh, hell, well, if you're gonna do it, why wait until the summer ends, huh? Why don't you just do it right now? Huh? Come on. Come on. Do it. 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 No. Stop it. Oh. You know what? I'm gonna do it. It's over. Okay, it's over. Don't touch me! I hate you! I hate you! Go. Why don't you just go? So, talk us through this scene. What was what was going on there? It was quite a roller coaster. Well, firstly, I want to say it's never acceptable when people put their hands on each other, female to male or male to female. Good, so good. Say that right away. Sure. Um, but, but the thing about that is very interesting because, uh, and it's such a big part of divorce. Very often, you have somebody who will say they're still in love, and somebody who will say they aren't. And I always tell people that only relationships that can possibly work are when two people are in love and also when two people want the same things at the same time. Mm. And so you, you saw in that that she was going to go to New York and go to school and he was going to stay there. And love doesn't actually, we say like love conquers all. But the reality is love doesn't conquer all. Love has to be also hand in hand with the practical things of, you know, do you both want to go to New York to school? Do, you know, one of you want to sit on the sofa every night while one of you wants to go climb Mount Everest every night? You have to have a certain amount of practicality because otherwise it's just rainbows and unicorns and it's never going to last a lifetime. Right, right. I had heard something once that was pretty interesting to me. I don't know if it was through uh, marriage counseling type or something I just heard on, on TV where things, relationships tend to work better when there's some difference at the far ends, right? So mm -hmm. there's sort of learning from each other and there's that spice and that variety. But the core, like the core, whether you want to call them values or life path or whatever you want to mm -hmm. call it, 
generally works better when those are similar and, and strong together, because then you have the best of both worlds, right? You, you get the interest of someone who's not exactly mm-hmm. like you, but you don't get that divergence where they're so different. You're, you're mm-hmm. sort of uh, tripping over each other or going in separate paths. Well, absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, From what I see, you know, you have to have the same core values, you have to have the same kind of life goals and dreams, because otherwise, as you start to take off, as you say, your path actually spread further and further apart. And one of the things that, you know, is such a big factor in when people tell me like, you know, what were they like at the beginning, X, Y, and Z, and I say, okay, well, was she always like that? you know, referring to the ex, was he always like that, referring to the ex? Mm-hmm. Um, and people will often say, very often, like nine out of 10 times will say, yeah, I thought it would get better. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's lovely that we're all so optimistic. But I have to tell you, if you have anything about them that you do not like or does not match with you, the only thing that's going to happen when you marry them is it's actually going to grow, whatever this is. And so whether it's, you know, their activity level, whether it's their jealousy, whether it's their personality type, whatever it is, this actually will multiply when you're married to them. You, you know, we all think that we can fix people, we can change people, we can make people want to go on a 24-mile bike ride every day, which, by the way, I do not, <laughs> right? Because I know I'm not ever going to be that person. And you can't be with somebody who wants you to be something you're not because that drives a wedge between you. And so I, th- I think that's one of the biggest things people have to realize before they get married, that whoever you will marry on the day you marry them is who you're marrying, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that we have that, I don't want to call it a delusion, but we have that kind of uh, perception, right, that, that mm-hmm. perhaps this person, things will change for the better. And, and I think just anyone out there who's listening, they've had that experience, right? It's kind of wishful mm-hmm. thinking, right? It, it really very yeah. rarely happens. And if it does happen, it's not anything you did. It's something that they wanted to do anyway. Yeah, absolutely. People can only change themselves. You can't change anyone else. Yeah. Let's take a look at this last clip. Sometimes uh, I get the feeling that there's a loss that cuts so deep, you you really can't even fathom it uh, Mm -hmm. before it happens. So let's take a look. Mama always said dying was a part of life. I sure wish it wasn't. Little Forrest is doing just fine. But about to start school again soon. I make his breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. I make sure he combs his hair, brushes his teeth every day. Teaching him how to play ping pong. Okay. He's really uh, good. Force you go. <laughs> we fish a lot. And every night we read a book. She's so smart, Jenny. You'd be so proud of him. I am. Here, wrote you a 
a letter. And he says, I can't read it. I'm not supposed to, so I just leave it here for you. don't know if Mama was right or if, it, if it's Lieutenant Dan. I don't know if we each have a destiny or if we're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze. But I, I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same time. I miss you, Jenny. If there's anything you need, I won't be far away. That is just an amazing scene. I, I know, get, you're trying to make me cry. Oh my God, I get so choked up when he goes, he's so smart, Jenny. <laughs> oh, good golly. So what can we learn here? I mean, I think as, as sad as that is, I think that, you know, we should all be grateful. That's a, that's a prime scene for being grateful for what we have in the here and now, right? Mm-hmm. that you know we can't stop the cycle of life we can't save people who are sick we can't stop people from dying but we all have the power to do what we can and make as many you know relationships and memories um be as productive as we can while we're here and and i have to say i mean this is one of the things that about divorce divorce is not death and i have to sometimes use those words to people because it's uh-huh. They seem divorce is just another chance to have the life you want. And I really think that we need to differentiate the kind of heartbreak and loss associated with these two things. Because obviously, when someone, when a loved one dies, you, you can't do anything except for wait and do the right. best you can with your life until hopefully you see them again, if you believe. Yeah. But, but when you have a divorce and somebody doesn't want to be with you, then this is very sad. But at the same time, it's given you another opportunity to find your Jenny or find your forest or whatever and leave a productive life and a happy life. And there's always somebody for everyone. And I think this is what most people who are suffering from, you know, a breakup or a divorce feel like. They really mostly are worried that they will never love again. They will never find anyone again. And I'm going to tell you, you will. You absolutely will. And so always hang on to the hope that there is somebody else and that you're going to go on to find that kind of happiness again. Now, do you find when you're working with people you're counseling that there are some sorts of people who, uh, for lack of a better word, are more resilient? And, you know, obviously it's a traumatic experience and it's going to 
take time to process, but do you find that there are certain things that people do or qualities that they have that allow them to get to that next frame of saying, okay, this is horrible, but I can get to the next chapter versus others who sort of maybe stay in that rut a little bit longer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, by my own uh, admittance, was one of the people who probably stayed in it too long. Mm. Um, and I think that by nature, I personally can be like, have that kind of side to me, but I've learned to kind of get rid of it because positivity and optimism are both like muscles. The more you use them, the more they grow and the stronger they become in you. And, and that's kind of what I say to people, you know, the same thing about walking into a room and feeling sad and depressed and not good about yourself. Be positive, be optimistic, fake it till you make it, because it really is the best thing that you can do. And the people who are very resilient and the people who handle it better are the people who on one side tell you this awful, awful things that have happened to them. And then they'll generally end with like a joke or like, <laughs> you get better. Or whatever, and you can see in them they have a true belief that things will get better, maybe not now, but one day. And so, those people obviously are easier to coach in some ways, and those people move on quicker and find happiness faster. So, God bless them, they figured it out. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd heard somewhere uh, this expression that uh, neurology or neuroscientists use you know, the neurons that fire together wire together. So it's, it, it's kind of what you're saying, like if you're engaging in a certain pattern of behavior in response to something, that's what you start. It, it's a reinforcing thing, right? So you either reinforce down or you can reinforce up. So it's kind of important how you handle those situations because you're, you know, the more you do of one thing, the harder it is to sort of switch out in, into the other, I think. Well, absolutely. And I, I was reading a study the other day, and they think people are actually addicted, can be, not clinical depression, but situational depression. Mm-hmm. They become actually almost addicted to being depressed because they get attention from it. They becomes wow. part of their identity, etc. And it's exactly what you said. The more you do that, the more you feel that. And um, so, yeah, you really have to work on it. But you only, get, you only have one life, right? You've got to make the best of it in any way you can. And there are 7 billion people on this earth. There are, you know, thousands of different foods, 200 and something countries, <laughs> billions of songs. We are so fortunate to live in this world and experience it. We really need to be grateful for it and realize how many possibilities and opportunities are out there for us and get up and go and do it. Absolutely. I think that's such a great, uh, great outlook and sentiment. Well, Tiffany, it's been a real treat to talk to you and learn from you today about heartbreak. Is there anything you're working on or that you'd like to share uh, for our audience if they'd like to learn more? Well, absolutely. I mean, I I write a lot about my journey from the book, not the divorce, because that's depressing. Nobody wants to read that. (laughs) That how I recycle my life after divorce. It has a lot of um, tips in it. It's called My Dreams Recycled, available on Amazon. Um, so that's a great go-to. And obviously go to my website, dreamsrecycled.com. A lot of free information, a lot of support. And you can follow me absolutely anywhere. I'm everywhere under Dreams Recycled or Tiffany Ann Bevelin. So I'd love to connect with you. And thank you so much for having me. 
Great. And thank you, Tiffany, for sharing your insights on why it works. Thank you. Like Strawberries and Champagne, a great book to go with this podcast is My Dreams Recycle by today's guest, Tiffany Ann Beverly. Find out her very personal story of finding her way to a new and better life after divorce. You can find her book, My Dreams Recycle, on Amazon or go to www.joquanjo.com slash whyitworks for a link in the show notes. To support our show, please leave a rating or comment or become a sponsor of Why It Works by going to www.patreon.com slash whyitworks. That's www.patreon.com slash whyitworks. Thank you. And remember, the enemy of learning is boring. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joquan Joe coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.